Hey, welcome to this month's episode of the Leader Fluent Podcast. This is Stephen Blandino, and today I'm excited to share with you five keys to building a high-performance team. But before I do, let me begin by inviting you to be a part of a brand new online coaching experience called Building a Highly Effective Team. This cohort is designed for pastors, executive pastors, managers, and nonprofit leaders, and it is loaded with practical strategies, effective systems, and customizable material that you can implement immediately in your context. I'll share more at the end of this episode, so be sure to listen to the end to discover all the details and how you can join. In fact, in today's episode of Leader Fluent, you'll get a small taste of what's in the cohort. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Leader Fluent. Every leader wants his or her team to excel at the highest level possible. But building a high-performance team doesn't happen just because we want it to. If it was that easy, let's be honest, we'd all be leading high-performance teams. No, it requires a lot of work and intentionality with five specific keys. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want to share five foundational keys to build a high-performance team. So let's jump in. Number one, create an effective hiring process. Author Jim Collins once said, If I were running a company today, I would have one priority above all others, to acquire as many of the best people as I could, because the single biggest constraint on the success of my organization is the ability to get and to hang on to enough of the right people. I think all of us can relate with that statement. And what's interesting is... Research conducted by Leadership IQ has discovered that the reason for 89% of job failures is due to attitude issues. In fact, 46% of those job failures happen within the first 18 months that they're on the job. But here's the kicker. 82% of managers in the study said that in hindsight... The failed hires elicited subtle cues during the interview process that they were going to fail. Cues like negative language and, and arrogant answers and a lack of focus. So how do you pick up on those subtle cues that indicate whether a candidate is or isn't a good fit in your organization? You have to create an effective hiring process. Now, there are multiple parts to an effective hiring process, but for the sake of time, let me just give you three tips to start with. The the first tip is multiple candidates. You need to do everything you can to secure multiple candidates to interview. So whatever position it is that you're hiring for, whatever uh, that role might involve, you want to get as many candidates in the pipeline as possible. And you can post the position on job sites or with universities or through various ministry networks. And, and you can call your friends for maybe possible leads that they would recommend. Whatever you do, get as many resumes as possible. And here's the reason why. In my experience, only about two 
out of 10 resumes are actually worth looking at. So multiple candidates is critical to this process. Here's another piece, multiple interviews. Your interview process cannot be just one interview. And I've seen this happen before and, and, and it does not play out well, okay? I know for us at Seven City Church, we use five different interviews with candidates. First, we start with a screening interview. And this is really just an interview to get to, get to know the candidate and to determine if we should even move forward with them in the first place. So it may only be about, say, 20 minutes. The second interview is what we call an experience interview. And during the experience interview, we ask the same five questions about every job the candidate has held over the last 10 to 15 years. And these questions, what they're doing by asking the same questions, we're, I, we're able to identify patterns in their responses regarding their role. So, for example, we're asking them, you know, uh, what is it at that role that uh, you were hired to do? And, and what were you most proud of that you accomplished in that role? And what was the lowest point for you in that role? So we're asking questions that are going to help us, again, peel back the layers and find patterns in their employment history. The third interview we do is a, a really a deep dive interview where we ask questions that reveal the candidate's character, their competence, their core values, their capacity as a leader, their chemistry with our team, and their compensation needs. The fourth interview we do is a candidate uh, with the, the candidate and their spouse. And, and my wife and I will typically do this, and here's the reason why. We're a church, and this is an opportunity for us to gauge the health of the marriage and their fit with the team, their fit with the church, and even their fit in the city if they're moving from out of town. The final interview is, is a team interview. And in this team interview, I'll pull together members of our team, and we'll take about 90 minutes for the team to ask a series of questions that for the most part, are aligned with our team values. And then we'll go together, uh, go to lunch together with the candidate. And, and here's what we're doing in that process. We're looking for one thing, how they interact with the team. So all of that is, is multiple interviews that we conduct. So you got multiple candidates, multiple interviews. And then the last piece is multiple interviewers, if possible. Involve other members of your team in the interview process. We have five interviews, but I don't do all the uh, interviews myself. In fact, uh, with our most recent hire, we had a total of five people involved in the interview process. Not, not just in the team interview, but in other interviews as well. So again, there are multiple stages to an effective hiring process, but these are three keys or three tips to help you get started. The second key to build a high-performance team is to maximize your onboarding system. Now, onboarding is often the, for, the forgotten ingredient in building a high-performance team. Why is that? It's because by the time we actually hire someone, we're so ready to get back to our own job that, that we just kind of hand them the keys to their office and, and, and wish them you know, the best of luck, and, and then we disappear. But here's what you have to understand. Onboarding is how you set new team members up for success, and that's the job 
of the leader. So what does a good onboarding system include? Well, a good onboarding system should answer several questions that are really critical. The first one, what basic steps does the new team member need to take to be employed here? You're really just taking care of the, the paperwork and, 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 and the basics, you know, the keys to their office and, hey, here's the, the alarm code to the building, right? I mean, it's just, it's the basic stuff. Here's the second question. What equipment? software, technology, and training does the team member need to successfully do their job? You've got to equip them with those tools and with that training so they can actually carry out their responsibilities. Here's a third question. What does the team member need to know about their role, expectations, and areas of responsibility? So you're going to obviously share their role description and, and uh, go over that with them, but, but you're also going to take time to make sure they understand uh, what happens in that role. You're going to take time to introduce them to key leaders in the organization that maybe serve under them. And, and so it's critical that you take time to help, again, set them up for success in regards to their specific responsibilities. Here, here's another question. What do we need to share with the team member about the organization's DNA to help them successfully acclimate to our culture? You see, every organization has a DNA, and that DNA typically is made up of, of vision and values and your culture and your history and really some common questions that are most frequently asked by new employees. If you can answer those questions, if you can give them an understanding of the organization's DNA, they're going to be able to better acclimate to your culture. Here's another question. What does the team member need to know to successfully work with their supervisor? So, Take some time to help them understand if they're working for you, if they're reporting to you, uh, how they should communicate to you, what's important to you, what you're looking for in your team members, why and how you give promotions. Um, deal with the things that are going to help them know how to best work alongside of you. Here's another question. Who do we need to introduce the team member to? This may be staff or key leaders or key volunteers. Here's another question. What does the team member need to know about our facility and their budget? What demographics and data would help the team member better understand who we're reaching, the community we're located in, and the growth trends of the organization? And then one last question. What training, resources, and coaching does the team member need during the first three to six months to help them successfully integrate into our culture and maximize their performance on the job. Now, I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm telling you, if you'll take time to build out a robust onboarding system, you're going to help your new team members go farther faster. You're going to set them up for success. So these are some pretty detailed questions, but if you take time to answer them, you'll build out a great onboarding system that, that's going to, again, give the, the, the basis, the foundation for long-term success with those new staff. Number three, invest in your team's growth. John Maxwell often says that the only thing worse than training staff and having them leave is not training them 
and having them stay. So as leaders, it's our job to invest in our team's growth regularly and systematically. By regularly, I'm talking about, you know, weekly or at least monthly. And by systematically, it might include conferences or coaching or resources, one-on-one meetings, staff meetings. So, for example, in our staff meetings, we'll sometimes read and discuss a book together, or I might do a teaching with our team, or we'll watch maybe a video series together. And in one-on-one meetings, sometimes I'll, I'll offer coaching to help team members improve in their areas of responsibility. I'm simply looking for regular ways to invest in our team and help them grow and get better. Investing in your team's growth is never a waste of time. Number four, cultivate healthy teamwork. No matter how great your team is, you have to be intentional about cultivating and protecting healthy teamwork. Now, teamwork requires a team, and teams are made up of team members. That's obvious. But here's what we've got to remember. For teams to exhibit healthy teamwork, then the team members must exhibit four ingredients. And here's what those four ingredients are. Character. So in other words, do they model integrity and spirituality? Competency. So can they get the job done with excellence? Chemistry. Do they connect well with the team? And culture. Do they fit the DNA of the organization? Now, when a staff member has a gap in any of those four areas, it will disrupt teamwork. Think about it. If there's a gap in character, then team members will be more prone to exhibit pride, jealousy, grudges, like different character flaws, and those character flaws will disrupt teamwork. If there's a gap maybe in their competency, then the rest of the team is going to become impatient by the team member's lack of performance. If there's a gap in chemistry, then the team member is likely going to annoy and irritate the rest of the team, or it's going to cause the rest of the team to feel like they're walking on eggshells around this individual. And if there's a gap in culture, the team member will constantly try to mold the organization around them rather than molding themselves into the DNA of the organization. So you've got to have all four, character, competency, chemistry, and culture. So that obviously raises a question, what happens when there's a gap? What happens when there's a gap in character or a gap in competency or a gap in chemistry or a gap in culture? Now, let me me just say this. We've all got gaps, right? We've all got areas that we need to grow, we need to, to, to work on. But here's the thing. When there's a gap, there is a responsibility for the supervisor and there is a responsibility for the team member. Both have responsibilities when gaps show up. Let's talk about the supervisor's responsibilities. When there is a gap in a, in a team member, the supervisor has the responsibility, number one, to create awareness, number two, to provide coaching, 
and number three, to hold them accountable. But the team member also has responsibility that is directly connected with the three supervisors' responsibilities. So the team member's responsibility is number one, to own it, number two, to be teachable, and number three, to make improvements. Now, notice how these three connect. The supervisor creates awareness, and then the team member has to own it. The supervisor provides coaching, which means that the team member has to be teachable so they can receive that coaching and put it to work. And then the supervisor holds them accountable, and the team member has to make improvements. When those things happen, you are protecting the teamwork of the team, of the organization, right? You're able to work together to accomplish the vision that's before you. So cultivate healthy teamwork. Number five, improve engagement and culture. Now, engagement and culture... Uh, all are about the work environment that you're creating. So let, let me dig into both of these. First, let's, let's talk about uh, engagement. Staff engagement or, or employee engagement, as it's usually called, is, is critical to the process. So, so what's the difference between an engaged employee and a disengaged employee? Well, an engaged employee has a positive attitude and enthusiasm for their boss their role, and the organization's vision, values, and culture. They love what they do, and they feel like they're an important part of the organization. That's an engaged employee. A disengaged employee, on the other hand, has a negative attitude toward the organization, their role, and their boss. They feel unenergized by their work. They punch the clock, but their heart, mind, passion, and energy are elsewhere. So you see the difference between an engaged versus a disengaged employee. I love something that Clarence Francis, the the former chairman of General Foods, made uh, about employee engagement. He said this, you can buy a man's time. You can buy his physical presence at a given place. You can even buy a measured number of his skilled muscular motions per hour. But you cannot buy enthusiasm. You cannot buy loyalty. You cannot buy the devotion of hearts, minds, or souls. You must earn these. Now, here's what you have to understand about engagement. In their book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, authors Scott Miller, Todd Davis, and Victoria Ross Olson make a great observation when they, when they make this statement. They said, leaders don't, in fact, create engagement. People choose their level of engagement. Leaders create the conditions for engagement, for better or worse. That is powerful. So, so, so get the picture here. Your, your team, they choose their level of engagement in the job or, or, or the organization. And you might hear that and say, well, yeah, they need to, they need to get with it. Like they, they need to be more engaged. But, but here's what you got to remember. You as the leader create the conditions for engagement. 
So it's our job as leaders to model the behavior and create the systems and culti- that we're going to cultivate a healthy work environment. So, so that's, that's just a, a little snippet on engagement. But we also have to create culture. So what is culture? Culture is the shared values, expectations, and practices that shape what an organization does and how an organization feels. So what, what shapes culture? Well, there's lots of things that shape culture. Let me just give you a few examples. The leadership you emanate shapes culture. The wins you celebrate shape culture. The behaviors you tolerate shape culture. The language you articulate shapes culture. All of these shape the culture of your organization. And, and there are these are all things that shape culture, and you can shape it, again, positively or negatively. Whichever we choose, uh, the, the positive approach and negative, it's going to shape the type of culture we have. You see, here's the thing. Every organization has a culture. It's just that some of them have been created intentionally and on purpose, while others, the leaders have simply drifted into the culture. And if you drift into a culture, it is almost always a negative culture. Now, let me give you one quick example of a positive culture. When Kate Lavelle uh, was a high school lacrosse coach in Georgia, her players' performance and, and effort levels were, were really uh, inconsistent. John Gordon talks about this in, in his book, The Power of a Positive Team. And, and so, so Kate decided to run an experiment with her team one season to, to help develop a more positive team culture. And, and this was the, the area that Kate really struggled with the most because she feared focusing energy in this area would take away from the time needed to train specific skills. And so here's what she did. She committed to call out the good things that she saw in, in her, her uh, players and, and to put the mistakes that she saw into the practice plan so that she could correct them rather than giving them negative focus and negative energy that that would uh, that that in her mind, that wasn't going to going to work for the long haul. And so that was her commitment. And then during half times, rather than casting blame and, and, and focusing on all the things that needed to be corrected, she gave feedback about what was going right and, and how those things could be leveraged or used for an even stronger second half. And not only that, at the end of every single game, whether they won the game or they lost the game, they would form a celebration circle. And in that celebration circle, uh, the players would each shout out positive things that other players did. Now, that may sound simple. That may sound really basic. But here are the results. That year, they finished third in the state and broke every team record that season, despite, get this, despite spending less time on drilling skills, taking more rests, and cutting out Saturday practices. Despite all of that, they had their best season ever. Where did it start? It started with a radical focus on creating a culture of positivity and encouragement. 
So, which of the five keys to high performance do you need to give more attention to with your team? Again, let's review. Number one, create an effective hiring process. Number two, maximize your onboarding system. Number three, invest in your team's growth. Number four, cultivate healthy teamwork. And number five, improve engagement and culture. As you focus on these five areas, I believe you'll take your team development efforts to an entirely new level. Now, let me close out today's episode of Leader Fluent by telling you about a brand new online coaching experience called Building a Highly Effective Team. In this five-session coaching experience, I'm going to go deep on the five ingredients that we just discussed in this lesson. In fact, let me give you just a, a snapshot of what you'll learn if you're part of this coaching cohort. You'll, you'll learn the seven stages of an effective hiring process. You'll learn the five interviews of a great interview process, and you'll get the questions to actually ask during each interview. Um, you'll learn how to create an org chart or role descriptions, how to set compensation, how to make good hiring decisions. You'll learn the three characteristics of a healthy onboarding system and the onboarding checklist to equip new, new team members for success. I'll, I'll also share with you um, what I call the MAP system to lead effective one-on-one -on -one meetings and provide helpful coaching to staff members. You'll learn how to help team members create a personal and professional growth plan that really accelerates their growth and, and maximizes their potential. You'll learn how to lead effective staff meetings and improve communication, collaboration, and staff development in those meetings. You'll learn how to address conflict, how to improve teamwork, and foster healthy team dynamics. You'll learn a goal-setting template. I'll provide this for you to, to help uh, staff set goals that are really aligned, not just with their job responsibilities, but also with the organization's strategic priorities. I'll share with you the six keys to increase employee engagement and 12 ways to create a healthy organizational culture. I'll, I'll share with you how to administer performance reviews that evaluate leadership competencies, that evaluate job performance, and that evaluate alignment with the team's values. All of that is included in this coaching cohort. Plus, plus in each session, you're going to have the opportunity to ask your questions, and, and we'll dive into those questions to, to, to help you in your context. And you'll receive copies of my hiring process, of interview questions, of a position profile, of an onboarding system, goal-setting templates, performance reviews, one-on-one -on -one coaching map, uh, and, and all of this you can customize to your context. You get all of that in this coaching cohort about how to build highly effective teams. Here's my promise to you. If, if you'll join this cohort, what I'll share with you in this coaching experience will be extremely practical. It's not a bunch of hype or theory. You're going to get hands-on access to a ton of practical strategies and effective systems that you can immediately implement in your context to help you build a highly effective team. So again, if you're a pastor, executive pastor, manager, 
uh, nonprofit leader, I want to invite you to sign up for this coaching experience at stephenblandino.com. It starts soon, so you don't want to miss it. Sign up today. I promise it will be worth your time and resources. It will make a difference. Well, thanks again for joining me for this episode of Leader Fluent. And would you do me a favor and rate and review the podcast? It would mean so much. But thanks again for joining us. Hope to see you in the coaching cohort. You can learn more or sign up at stephenblandino.com. Take care and we'll see you next time.